This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Belinda Alexandra, welcome to Better Reading. Hi, Cheryl. It's great to be here. We just love having you in the office. Honestly, since you've walked in, which was, what, 15 minutes ago, we've been giggling nonstop. I know. It's always, (laughs) it's a happy place. It is a happy place. (laughs) And what, you've been here how many times in the last couple of weeks? I have come here every Thursday for the past three weeks. So if you haven't got the hint that I'm looking for a job, I don't know what else I can do, Cheryl. I think we're going to need to make some space for you, a desk at least. A desk at least. Yeah. I guess you and I have known each other for so long, haven't we? Yeah, look, really, you were a fantastic supporter when my first book came out 20 years ago with our white gardenia. Of course, I was 10 years old. uh, (laughs) Back then. (laughs) Back then. I was a, you know, a very young writer. But thanks to your support, that book really got out there to the Australian uh, reader, which was great because there weren't a lot of um, Australian writers doing historical fiction. I mean, there was Paulina Simons and, you know, a few other American authors, but you really supported me in Mm. that. So it was a great start. I remember a few years ago too, you came in and you were wearing a beautiful, was it a blue dress? Yes. And we did a Facebook Live. Yeah. And you're just stunningly gorgeous. Oh, thank you. (laughs) As you do today. (laughs) Now, you know, I was nervous about you coming in today because I had Natasha Lester in today, who I know you two are friends, and then you, and I I was just like walking around the park and thinking, I've got got two fashionistas in today. What am I going to wear? Well, you're a natural beauty, Cheryl. It doesn't take much to make you look good. (laughs) Now, also too, I think we should tell our listeners about that time. I don't know what we were doing, but it was Miff Warhurst and we were talking about podcasts that we liked. Remember that? Yes. And what were your favourites? I think from memory, (laughs) mine were mainly cat podcasts yes. and then uh, yoga and tranquility and you had very heavy political um, yes. podcasts yeah. to listen to. <laughs> yes, Revisionist History, The Daily, The New York Times Daily or something. I was really like, oh, I wonder if Miff knew that was going to happen, that we were so no, different. No, we had to explain we were a brunette and a blonde um, <laughs> And she together. knew which was. Yeah. <laughs> but I read so much heavy stuff for my historical fiction that I think once I get out of my writing room, I have to do light things. Like, as you know, I'm a dancer. I do dance classes and I sort of have to get around uh, You have to clear your head. You have to clear your head. And some of the historical fiction research they do, it's it's just very interesting, but it is a bit like doing a university degree for each um, book. Absolutely. So I think I'm just styling myself on Legally Blonde there. (laughs) (laughs) I do think you've got to find escapism when you can get it. And and I was talking to Natasha about that earlier. You know, I found, find my solace, you know, um, I, 
I said to her, it was a bit like, you know, clearing the chalkboard. I need to wake up in the morning and clear my head. And that's usually through walking the dog and then swimming. That's Mm. how it happens. You need to have something. Yeah. 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 Look, I definitely have a morning routine because I think that helps so much mm. with the, the writing. Mm. And I've heard that one of the worst things that we do, and we ha- we all have a habit of doing this, is waking up and thinking about all the world's problems before we've even mm. started the day. Mm. So what I like to do is when I the alarm goes off, well, I have three cats sleeping on top of me. So I first I have to gently move them out of the way. But then I like to just stand up. And as you know, I do dance and belly dance and so on. So I just stand in a dancer's pose and just say, I'm here, the day's started. <laughs> so let's be excited about it because um, none of us know how long we're we're here for. So oh, got- I so agree with that. I really do. My favourite thing is having my coffee and toast in the morning. And do you know when I, and I make it, so I grind the coffee beans and, and make that, you know, I do a pour over. And when I take a, a sip of that coffee, I think, well, I'm the luckiest person today. Yeah. We have to think about that yeah. because, and actually writing historical fiction brings that home yeah. um, to me a lot, that there's been such difficulties in the in the past and um, those people got through those difficulties. Our ancestors got through those difficulties. And here we are. Your parents came from Lebanon. My mother was a Russian uh, refugee from China. I mean, they really struggled to come here. So I think we have to appreciate mm-hmm. it and, and be grateful for everything oh, and, that we and, have. and whatever's happening around the world now. Mm. I want to tell you something funny, just going back to the podcast, which I just remembered. My friends in, in the US, in San Francisco, one of them doesn't sleep, is not a good sleeper. And he happened to say to me once that he uses podcasts to fall asleep to, like if he wakes up at three o'clock in the morning. Not this one, I hope. (laughs) Yeah, not this one, I hope. Well, do you know, and I thought, oh, and he said, so I'll put on a podcast and usually I'll fall asleep within a couple of minutes. And I thought, oh, right, okay, well, I'd never even thought of doing that. And also I'm a great sleeper. However, when I came back from Europe, I, I just the, the first day I, I got a bit of jet lag and I think I woke up at 2am. I think, you know what, I'm going to put on a podcast as Chris does and see if that works. Well, of course I put on a political podcast mm-hmm. and it was about Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know, it made me so furious. Of course. No, I did not fall asleep. I stood up. I was so angry all morning <laughs> and I sent him a text and I said, that didn't really work for me. He said, oh, I meant to tell you it can't be about politics. No, no. I, <laughs> and I, I thought of you. I thought I needed a Belinda Alexandra podcast. Yes. Well, one about cats or, or Tranquility. Yeah. Maybe that's going to be your next thing, um, Cheryl, is making podcasts for people to fall asleep to. That yeah. could be your sideline <laughs> from better reading. Yeah, it could Or you be. could read yeah. on a podcast, put everyone to, to sleep as they're being read to. <laughs> that's right. Do you know, I quite like that. Do you like being read to? I yes, love, I do. Yeah, I, I do. It. Because my mind's so active. It's really nice when I slow down. And there's two things that I just really love. I love when someone else is driving mm. and they're taking me for a, a mm. drive. And I love being read to. Yes, mm. absolutely. In fact, one of the things I really loved about the French agent was that I listened to the audio of it. Mm. And it's really, and it's got two great readers. One is doing the French character, one's doing the Australian character. And it's really like I'm being told my story in a different way because, you know, they'll emphasize and they'll pick up things differently to how I have, just like every reader who reads a book creates their own story Mm. around it. And um, 
I just love listening to it. I think, gosh, is this an exciting story? Did I actually write it? <laughs> That's right. And it's very different to reading. Mm. I think they're both valuable ways yes. of getting stories. You know, whether you listen to stories or you read stories, I think as long as you're getting stories. But they are very different formats yes. in terms yeah. of listening. Yes, they are. Hey, listen, we haven't even introduced you. <laughs> That's because that's because you need no introduction. Thank you. <laughs> She's the best-selling, or Belinda is the best-selling internationally published author of novels including White Gardenia, which we talked about, The Mystery Woman, and Tuscan Rose. She's also an intrepid traveller and a volunteer rescuer and carer for New South Wales wires. Now, why doesn't that surprise me? <laughs> do you only do cats, or do you do everything? Uh, well, look, I've volunteered for a number of animal charities, and I love all animals. So I love Australian wildlife and you'll see that on my Facebook page that I'm very active about habitat um, protection and so on. But I also do love my cats as well. So, I mean, if I could, I'd have a pet pig and a pet goat and so on, but it's not really um, practical in Sydney or where I live. No, your neighbours wouldn't like it very much. So I, I do love them all and readers will know that from my books as well. There's usually an animal character somewhere in there and the people might be fictional but the um, animal characters are usually based on an animal I've actually known. (laughs) Mm. You know I've got a dog as you know I had I had two dogs I've only got one now he's 16 Mm. you know and he's deaf and blind now that's another thing he woke up one morning or well I woke up and noticed it one morning but do you know that dog's tail is still wagging he still loves going imagine if humans woke up and they were deaf and blind yeah. Yeah, it would be such a catastrophe. But for him, it's a slight inconvenience, but I don't think mm. he's noticed all that much. No, he's got a very happy spirit. Yeah, so. they're so resilient, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. We are talking about the French agent. I'm going <laughs> back to my notes. It's a historical mystery set after World War Two about a world in chaos, two very different women, and the mystery of the man who may connect them. I feel, and I was talking to Natasha about this, that there are people out there that are very critical of genre, right? It's certainly not me and certainly not the readers because I feel that better reading readers read everything. But what people underestimate is the amount of accuracy in a fiction book, in a historical fiction book. Mm. And I think that's what readers love, especially uh, Natasha. I always want to call her Natasha. (laughs) Go on, you do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We both do a tremendous amount of research. And when we got together, we we were discussing... Um, how much research goes into it because we feel a sort of integrity Mm. to the book. And in fact, particularly when we're writing about characters that are based on real characters, there is a sense of we're entrusting ourselves with this story um, that actually happened. So we feel an obligation to be true to that story and to bring, and usually history is so interesting Mm. anyway, Mm -hmm. that it's really up to us in our craft to make it alive for our readers. Yes, so there's a tremendous amount of work there. I think you'd only criticise genre if it was just becoming sort of um, a formula. Mm. As long as you're not creating just a a formula that everyone can predict how it's going to go, I think when they open the book and they know that they're going to go on an adventure, they don't quite know what's going to happen, but they know that when they get to the end of the book, they're going to understand something more deeply. They're going to have actually participated in history. And I think that takes a tremendous amount of work because you can't overload the reader, 
but you need to pick just the right details to make the reader really feel that they're there and that they are having um, mm. these experiences. Mm. It's really interesting. And, and, and interesting, the comment that you made earlier, that even though you don't listen to political podcasts, you are reading about it in mm. your research all the time. And that's really quite important because at the moment, and I don't want to talk about politics, but I just want to get your perspective on this, that, you know, the world is in time of flux. Mm. You know, there's kind of uncertainty everywhere you look. When you look at fiction, read all the, you know, about World War Two, for example, do you kind of think about that and the impact that, that where we're at now? Like, are we learning yeah. anything? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think that's the important thing of understanding history. Yeah. And one of the reasons I became, in, you know, so interested in history, I wasn't really interested in the way history was taught at school. It was yeah. taught as events happening. But I had a mother and my grandparents had their lives completely turned upside down by wars and, and revolutions. And my mother, being brought up in China, had really seen the best and the worst of humanity and she was always a, a person that said, you need to learn from history and you need to look at history. And I do have hope for the human race. I think we are going two steps forward and one step back. But that one step back is so drastic that we really feel it. But I think the important thing about history is not just world history, but even our own personal histories. We need to look at what we've done and what we're doing repeatedly. And we need to learn how to break that pattern. Uh, for instance, if you look at uh, Russia, you have a country that always seems to be a dictator. No mm. matter what form they do, no matter how many times they try to uh, bring in democracy, there is a pattern there of this um, dictator who then who really doesn't care for the people. Mm. Mm. And um, It's all about money. It's all about money and it's all, all about power. Mm. And you have this repeated pattern. So even in our own country, we have repeated... Mm. Patterns. I see a repeated pattern in the United States. Mm. You have these periods of tremendous prosperity where people really don't care about anything about them, themselves. And then something drastic happens, whether it's the Titanic, whether it's the Great Depression, you know, whether it's COVID or all sorts of things that happen, the World Trade Towers, the terrorist mm. attacks. Inflation. All these sorts of mm. destabilising things happen mm. and people go back within and they start thinking about caring about each other again. They think we can't just be this selfish, me, me society. And um, I think the trick about looking for patterns is we actually all create history. It's not just our leaders. We're not powerless. It's what you and I are talking about on the street and how we talk about things and whether we educate ourselves or whether we just allow ourselves to be dictated to about what to believe and so on. And, and also the way we talk to each other, whether mm. we talk to each other respectfully and try to understand each other's point of view. If each of us can do that, I think individually, we are doing our bit to create a better history. Mm. Yeah, that's really, it's interesting you say that. I look around sometimes and I, I feel so, you know, particularly at the moment, I feel so powerless. It might be the word. I've just come back from France and there are so many beautiful things to see in France and it was absolutely divine, gorgeous time. I was in the south of France and then I went to Paris and, and then I went to Spain and Barcelona. However, I did come back thinking that, we're so far, far behind in terms of climate change, mm. right? So there are a lot of things that I noticed outside of being a tourist or 
you know, tourists should notice that. Like I observed a, a lot of garbage disposal that we don't have here, you know, electric cars, hydrogen cars, you know, all sorts of things. And I came back feeling a bit flat about that. Uh, and then I decided to do something about it. So I wrote, I mean, Anthony Albanese happens to be my local member. So I've written an email and I've attached photos of what I saw and what I think we could do in Australia. So then that gave me, I needed to do that. And everybody thinks it's funny that I've written to him, but I, I needed to have some kind of input. You know, you don't underestimate the power of one person writing a letter. Yeah. And just to give you a small scale illustration of that, I too, as you know, I love our Australian environment. I love our our wildlife. And I'm so heartbroken that there's not a shared vision of that. There's a very short term view to this precious thing that we really have. But uh, many years ago, I lived in a suburb that didn't have a lot of trees and the wildlife was really suffering. But there was this huge park in the middle of this suburb, but it was just grass, basically. It was a meadow with a few straggly looking gum trees. And I thought it's right in the centrepiece of this suburb. You never see people walking in it. It's just bindi eyes. It's just erosion. And so I thought, wouldn't that make a beautiful bird sanctuary and you could put pathways through it and people Mm. could just go there and relax and it would be cool. I wrote to my local council member and, of course, I got the standard reply of, thank you for your letter, Um, we can't do anything about it, uh, but I'll speak to someone and your letter will probably be filed somewhere that no one will ever see it. And that's what I thought, okay, well, that's kind of the response that I was expecting. It was like 10% hope and 90% cynicism. But then a couple of days later, a woman from the council phoned me and she talked to me about my idea and she sort of just said, "Mm, mm, mm." and then she said, but she realised with a park that size, even a large amount of money is not going to make a big impact. It's too big a project. And I thought, okay, well, there you go again. And then the green space manager phoned me and he asked about my idea. And then also he said, oh, you know, we really, we have other things that we're spending money on at the moment. And then two weeks later, there were these earth movers in there and this truck with trees on it. And they did this amazing corner of the the park where they did, you know, high canopy, medium canopy, low canopy. It was all going to be so beautiful for birds. And then the following year, they did a bit more and then it did a bit more. And they put in pathways eventually, bike parks. Um, They put in a fenced dog park so people could take their dogs, but their dogs wouldn't interfere with the, the birds. And that park was full of people. So by the time I left that suburb, I just felt just one letter and I didn't Mm. know. Mm. It was probably just a moment that was ready for change, Mm. but it just took one letter. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, there you go. That's given me a bit of hope. It's interesting when we look back at history, though, that we remember all the... Uh, I guess we, we we remember the good and the bad. I wonder if we learn from it. I think we do. I think the more of us who read yes. um, become the voices of um, yeah. the, the intelligent people. In fact, people who read just are more intelligent. They, they just are. are more informed. I mean, there are a few exceptions to that, but they are few, really. Mm. That's That's what they are. And so I guess that really comes down to if we really understand history and we also understand current affairs, we can start to marry the two. We can start to see Mm. the pattern and we can see where we actually need to change our patterns. Otherwise, things become like a groove, Mm. even in ourselves. You know, Mm. there are things like you think, why am I doing the same thing that I was Mm. doing two years ago? And it's simply a groove and a habit. Mm. And the first thing to do is to become conscious Mm. of this pattern. And once you're conscious of it, you can say, well, how can I break this pattern? And I think it's enormously important that we remain positive Mm. because if we start to get cynical about life and especially about each other, we can't really band together to make any sort of change. Mm. And sometimes it can feel that the people who are against us, like for instance, for me, it would be the people that just kill wildlife, don't want them in their garden and drown them or poison them or something like that. If I focus on those people, I won't focus on all the other kindred spirits who Mm. are trying to do good um, Mm. in this country. So I think it's really important that we remain positive. You're going to like this story. I'm going to tell you this story. It's an animal story. This beautiful young um, illustrator and writer came in yesterday called Sammy Bailey. And she writes beautiful picture books for children about animals and their natural habitat. And anyway, we got talking about all sorts of things. And I told her that, you know, my apartment's virtually in a park and I love the kookaburras. Anyway, she told me the story of how she came to writing. And it was that she entered a competition. She studied the ibis and talked about how the ibis and illustrated the ibis in various formats and told me how it came to be that they're now in parks and they're considered pests. Mm. It's because they've lost their natural habitat. Mm. And I felt, oh, terrible amount of guilt. Now, not that I've ever hit an ibis or kicked an ibis or anything. I do see them as pests. I see them Mm. in the park and they irritate me and I want them to leave (laughs) and they come and try and get our food if we're having a picnic. And now I have this completely different view Mm. of the ibis, Mm. right? And it was because of Sammy. So what I'm going to do in the next couple of days is I'm going to take a photo of the ibis because you follow me on Instagram. So, you know, I I do post about birds and all sorts of things. But I am going to take a photo of the ibis and I'm going to tell her story. Absolutely. And then there will be a greater empathy towards the bird and why why they're in the park. Yes. Look, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, now I live in a bushland area, but quite often there'll be somebody complaining about the cockatoos are eating their oranges or the possums are doing poo on their driveway or something. And I'll say, but, you know... They've lost their home because you built a house on it and you knocked uh, Mm. trees down. So my point of view is I would so much rather have that wildlife in my garden than not. I'd rather have those living things. Do you know that's something else I noticed in Europe, the the lack of wildlife. Mm. 
Have you noticed that? Well, that was the thing that really, like I, I grew up around wildlife, but then I went to live overseas and I lived in New York for a number yes, of I years. Yes, I remember that. And it was really coming back from New York. Like I had a great time in New York, but it was really coming back from New York and I was catching the train as it went over Sydney Harbour and I just had to stand up and look at that magnificent harbour because I'd been underground <laughs> for mm. so long. And I just thought this is such a beautiful city, just mm. a magnificent city. And we have wildlife in our city gardens. If you live in France, if you live in America, you have to have a country home before mm. you can enjoy that. And I think we have these beautiful birds. Like I know your kookaburra that comes to visit <laughs> you it. is just extraordinary. Uh, it makes me happy all the yeah. time. And also, as well as making me happy, it's very, very detrimental to my day because then I, I just can't function and do anything else other than sit there and watch it. I know. they, But they're things of beauty. They're gorgeous. They're things of beauty. And that was actually a big theme that I wanted to bring out in The French Agent because, as you know, it goes from Paris to Sydney in 1946. And we had an opportunity just after the Second World War. There was all this land um, allocated around the circle of Sydney to be green space for us. But unfortunately, the way we planned our suburbs, instead of incorporating as much green space as we could or preserving it, we just flattened it and built these cookie-cutter, soulless mm. suburbs for people to live in that created all sorts of social problems after that. But here's the thing that we don't learn from history is we're continuing to build houses that aren't suitable for our climate. We're continuing to knock down Why? bushland. Yeah. And the tragedy of that is that they're now saying in 20 years' time, those suburbs will be unlivable. So people will have Because invest- they're so hot. They're so hot. Yeah. And... People have invested everything in their homes, as for most Australians, their biggest investment is their Mm. home. So it's an economic crisis that's going to happen. But they're now talking they're going to have to knock down all those houses and everyone's going to have to live underground. If that doesn't scare you to change your Mm. behaviour... And there's a huge difference, and you're talking about Europe, but in Sweden, when a house is built, Mm. it has to be built for the climate so that you don't need a lot of heating and cooling, and it's built to last 100 years. Do you know what the standard is for an Australian house? Seven years. Mm. So people are spending a million dollars on a house that's going to start falling apart. Um, After seven years. And then that all becomes landfill as they have to knock their house down and build another house. So all of us, we can't just say the government has to regulate that. We have to educate ourselves about that. Mm -hmm. And we have to start thinking about our own lifestyles Mm -hmm. and how do we, you know, how do we want to be? It's really interesting. Um, I think that even with appliances, I try and make everything last. Mm. You know, I'm still using a hand beater that I've had since, you know, for 30 years or something. And I don't want to upgrade it because mm. what? where do you throw it out? Mm. You know, it's crazy. Okay, I want to go back to writing. And we've talked about, I think in the previous podcast, we talked about how you came to writing. Tell me, because I think now you're an established writer. You're not a, an emerging writer. You're not even a mid-career writer. Mm. You know, how many books do you Well, have? um Ten novels yeah. and one non-fiction. Yeah, to be where you are now, does the experience, having more experience, make you better, you know, if you like? Uh, yes, I think you do. I think that for me it's always trying to learn something new about the craft before I start each book. 
And I think the more you write, the the better you do have to become. But that sort of has to be a conscious effort as well. You have to decide, oh, I'm going to improve on this area. I mean, some people will like one book, you know, more than another, simply because they relate to it or they relate to that country or or that time period more. And also, I think sometimes it's the time that you read it Mm. as a reader in your own life, where you're at. Yes. Look, there's been books that I've picked up and I've thought, I don't really like this book. And then five years later, Mm -hmm. I pick up the book and I go, I love this book. Oh, that's happened to me so often. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you think, oh, there's this book everyone likes, but I really don't like it, then maybe sometime in the future you give it a, another, know, another go, go yeah. at, at it. But I think, yes, I, I feel tremendously privileged because it's not an easy thing to have had that long span career. So I never take that for granted and I never take my readers for granted. I know that they go out and they spend their money on a book. I feel an obligation to write the very best that I can. I wish I could make everybody happy, but that's not always possible. But I do definitely try to give the very best I can of myself to each book. Do you think the way you write has changed in that time? Yes. And also the way I approach my writing has changed. Uh, When I wrote White Gardenia, I had no idea how to write a book. And Mm. and so I just started and and went just to the end. You know, that's basically what I did. Now I probably do a lot more thinking before I actually start to write the book. But, you know, each book is different. Uh, With The French Agent, I was doing, it was written during lockdown and I took the opportunity to do a screenwriter's masterclass. So I was actually with people who had written screenplays. Right. And... I just had such tremendous respect for how much planning they put in because they've only got two hours to tell a story. So they can't have any scenes that, you know, don't build the story. They can't waste anything. And so they do an enormous amount of planning before they even put pen to paper. So I thought, look, I'll just try that with the the French agent. And because it's got such a complicated structure, I'm really glad that I did that planning because everyone who's reading it is telling me it's gripping and they can't stop turning the pages. You want to make that look effortless, but in order to create that, you have to put an enormous amount of Of effort. But I think each book is different. And I was talking to Natasha um, on the weekend and she basically just writes a very rough draft. She she just writes the whole thing out. And I said, well, in a way, that's kind of planning. That's kind of your... First draft. Yes, your first draft. Um, So we all have different ways of approaching it. For instance, with me, I like to have at least four or five of the beginning chapters really solid before I can continue on with a book. If I just sort of start and write a first draft that's very, very loose, I kind of feel like I've just got this hot mess in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I prefer to feel like I know the level that I have to get the rest of this book at and it's in those first three or four chapters. Yeah, wow. Um, I know where I'm heading and where everything else has to go. Natasha um, (laughs) talked about a mood board, which I'd never heard about Mm. that before. Do you do that with language, do you do that visually? Do you? I do that visually as well because oh, I, I am a visual person and I am very affected by colours and things. So I do collect pictures that sort of create the mood. Also, as you know, I love music and yeah. I listen to a lot of classical music. So I'll usually pick, or sometimes jazz, but for the characters, I'll pick them a theme song. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So um, I actually, a while ago on my Facebook page, I put the different theme songs that I had for my different characters. 
And that was enjoyable for the readers to actually see the song oh, that yeah. I listened to when I was thinking about that character. Because music affects me very deeply and I do listen to classical music when I write and sometimes jazz music, sometimes flamenco music because I love Spanish music as well. But something that really suits the scene that I'm, I'm working on. Yeah, yeah, wow, that's really quite beautiful. You're so busy, aren't you? You're saving animals, you're dancing, you're researching history, you're listening to beautiful music. Wow. Do you sleep much? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, No, I think that's, especially when I'm writing, I mean, I would love to be one of those people that sleep a lot, but I think my brain, because a lot of our writing comes from the subconscious Mm -hmm. and that's what's working when you're asleep. Mm. So for a lot of people, that's their resting time. Their brain actually is throwing things up because their brain is emptying stuff out. But when you're a writer, it's like, oh, there's an idea or there's an idea or there's an idea. Yeah. Yeah. So your subconscious is working a lot. But also I think, you know, there's people that are sort of, their energy is lower, calmer, slower. I'm probably high frequency (laughs) energy. Yeah. You've got a very calming energy when you walk into a room. I think I noticed this about you the other day when you were here, because, you know, you've been here quite a bit lately. Um, (laughs) But I noticed this the other day when you were here. You've got a, um, you know, sometimes people walk in the room and they have a presence and that's you. You know, there's something, when you walk in a room, you know that you're here. It might be that standing up in the morning in a belly dance pose saying I'm here for the day. Like I'm putting my energy out there. Um, Look, I'm one of those people, I don't really relate to very moody people. I find them difficult to be around because... With moody people, I pick up other people's energy and I usually find a moody person will come and upset me and then they feel better and then I'm left feeling rotten for the, <laughs> the right, rest of the Because you've got so much empathy. Time. Yeah. So I'm very conscious about how my energy affects other people yeah. and how it affects the day. So I do try to, before I go anywhere, before I leave the house, and in fact, Russians have this little custom that they do because leaving the house in Russia is quite dangerous. You might get killed by an icicle or a crazy driver. So usually before they leave the house, they sit down. Is that right? Yes. And they just say a little prayer before they leave the house for safety. And I used to think we're rushing out of the house, we're collecting everything. Why is my mother sitting down? Like now, like, mum, why didn't you sit down like half an hour ago before we left the house? But it would just be a way of collecting her energy of that we're leaving the house and we go out with collected energy and awareness. And I've sort of thought of her, like I'm, I'm usually a person that is rushing around doing things and I think that's not a good energy. It just sort of builds up as the day goes along. So I do try between doing things, you know, if I'm going up in an elevator to meet someone or if I'm driving, just parking my car on my way from the car to the restaurant, I do just try and stop and just fill myself up a little bit, even for my own sake to enjoy myself more. But even to be around other people, just try and bring positive energy. And that way, when those moody people come up to me, they say they can see they're not going to affect me. Mm. <laughs> so they'll go find someone else as well. I love that. That is so lovely. And you know, you must do it so naturally that I didn't even notice that it was a thing. I just thought that that's Belinda. She just Well, I think it's vibe. a habit. I yeah. think it's just a, a habit of being because I know it, we affect each other. Mm, and I'm very do. conscious of how yeah. 
we affect each other. So, for instance, when something horrible happens on the news and we all go and tell each other mm. how horrible it is, we all create stress. Mm. Whereas And panic. And panic. And I think it's better to be a person that is coming up with a solution or coming up how we can use this horrible thing for something better. Mm. And I try and do that on my social media as well. I mm. try not to have, isn't this horrible, isn't this terrible? I do try to... You know, if I have to say something, then I try to give some sort of solution, some even a small step that we can do in a more positive direction. You're wonderful. You're We're wonderful. out of time. <laughs> <laughs> we love you here at Better Reading. Belinda Alexandra, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.